I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is Charles R. Jenkins. Who was Charles R. Jenkins? Well, he was a U.S. soldier who, after the conclusion of the Korean War, laid down his rifle, walked across the demilitarized zone, and handed himself over to the North Korean government. And then, he was made into one of the biggest movie stars the Hermit Kingdom had ever seen. ready for my close-up, Mr. Kim. Charles Robert Jenkins was born on February 18, 1940, in Rich Square, North Carolina. He had two siblings, Pat, a younger sister, and Stratford, a younger brother. The young man dropped out of high school in order to help his family after his father's untimely passing. Lacking a formal diploma, Jenkins enlisted in the North Korean National Guard. He served from 55 through 1958. After his honorable discharge, he decided to enlist in active duty for the Army. He was placed as a light weapons infantryman. First stationed at Fort Hood, Jenkins volunteered to deploy with the 7th Infantry Division in South Korea to help with the war effort. While he was there, he was promoted to sergeant. After briefly returning to the US, Jenkins was assigned to the 3rd Armored Division in West Germany, where he served until 1964. That year, he volunteered for a second deployment to the Korean DMZ. So we got this guy, he's a good guy. He's trying to like help his mom and his sister and his younger brother. He's like, I don't really got, I don't got me that many smarts, so I'm gonna go into the military. This is, I'm not making fun of people in the military. He literally talks this way. You will hear later, he's got the thickest Southern drawl. He's, he's, he's this young guy, his, his family needs his help. So he enlists in the National Guard, uh, drops out of high school, enlists in the National Guard. And then what does he say, Dave? He goes, he goes, gee golly, I'm an idiot. Is that what I'm saying? Is that what I'm saying? You know, he's a, he's a good Southern guy. He's like, I'm trying to help, you know, trying to help my family out. The 1960s, time of social upheaval, and uh, we got this photo of him here. He, he's, he enlists tour tours. He enlists, gets deployed for two tours in Korea. What does this guy look like, Spandrew? Charles Jenkins looks like if a teapot magically came to life as a person. <laughs> Charles Jenkins looks like the type of guy whose ears were genetically altered in a gene splicing uh, accident in order to make him having to, to make his head more grippable for head butting. Charles Jenkins looks like all throughout his childhood, he was always getting told to listen. And then by sheer willpower, he made it happen. Charles Jenkins looks like the type of guy who has to turn his head sideways when walking through doors. He's got big ears. That's what we're saying. He's got very large ears. They're like cartoonishly large. We're ears. focusing on the ears here. They're huge. Nothing wrong with huge ears. They just are huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it, what what about this guy's face? Does his face tell you anything about the about the individual other than his ears? He looks like he was born to be to join the military. He's just got that. He's got that look to him. He's just like, it's my destiny. I'm a, I'm gonna get older. I'm gonna I'm gonna join up in the service, and that's just gonna define my life. Well, there's a there's a twist. Uh, what a twist! Uh, military service is not what is going to define this guy's life. It's uh, very sad what is going to define this guy's life. 
uh, one decision on a hair hairpin that just completely alters everything about your existence, which is just unthinkable to me. It's one of those things where like when I was doing the research for this episode, I was just like, I don't I don't know what I would have done in his situation, but I don't think I would have done that because uh, that just seems like even more extreme than whatever the potential downside of alternatives would would have been. Charles Dickens looks like his favorite food are those ice cream drumsticks. Yeah. I mean, those are great, though. I mean, why, what is that? He eats three of them a day. Is that weird? <laughs> Come to think of it, you have a strike, striking resemblance to Charles Jenkins now that I'm looking at you. Fuck you. You know, just fuck you. My ears are totally proportional to the size of my head. You you look like a deserter who is going to end up in North Korea for your whole life. Have you ever thought about that, Dave? That's how you sound to me. That's how you sound. That's what you're offended by. You're offended that I'm insinuating that you're like that you're a deserter. You're like, I would never I would never take leave from my my God given duty to my country. How dare you insinuate I'm a fucking traitor, even though I've been living abroad, not in the U.S. because I'm low key terrified of everything that's happening there since the turn of the year. Fuck you. I ain't no turncoat. I love me, my Marcus. Okay. Yeah, you're just you're 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 gathering intelligence. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know what intelligence I'm gathering, considering I've only been in like meetings with publishers or comic book museums. But hey, fuck it, that's some intelligence, man. I'm getting some some good leads. You come back and you're you go to the war room and you're like, all right, Mr. President. Mr. General, they really take comics seriously over there. I think this is a weakness. I think we can get at them in this way. We just send a big box of comics, but inside of the box of comics, there's a bunch of guys with guns. They'll never see it coming. You don't understand. They call it the ninth art in France, you know? Like, they take that shit serious. So we could, like, use that as a Trojan horse, and we could show them something else that could be the tenth art. If we, yeah, we just gotta we gotta come up with the tenth art, and we can, can, we can, we can just literally take over the whole the whole continent. Emojis. Yeah, they've they've never seen that shit. We show them emojis, and we're 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 done. We're done. We've we've won the war. Europe will be called America Two. <laughs> America Two Electric Boogaloo. On January fifth, nineteen sixty five, the twenty year old Sergeant Jenkins was stationed at the DMZ with the Army's Eighth Cavalry Regiment. And that night, he decided to desert. And then I decided to desert and get me one of them drumsticks, vanilla flavored. Mm-mm-mm. Rumor has it that he was being asked to lead more aggressive and provocative patrols along the DMZ. And there were rumors that his unit was going to soon be sent to Vietnam, which he viewed as an instant death sentence. What's, what's a provocative patrol? He's like, all right, men, we're really going to throw the enemy off. Tonight, you're going to go out wearing nothing but a string bikini and just give him a show, baby. Give him a show. He's like, I don't feel comfortable with this. He quickly drank 10 beers for liquid courage and went on patrol with his squad. At roughly 2.30 a.m., after telling the two other men that he was on patrol with that he had heard a strange noise, he disappeared into the night. In order to ensure that there would be no mistaking him for an enemy combatant, he discarded all of the shells from his M14 rifle, tied a white undershirt to the barrel of his gun, and walked 10 kilometers 
towards the North Korean city of Panmunjom. He had planned to claim asylum with the Soviet Union, and then return to the U.S. for discharge and punishment via a prisoner exchange program. However, he instead was held prisoner by the North Korean government for 40 years. Yeah, but also that's like, in, that's that's intense. He's just like, he's like, all right, I don't want to do this. I don't even care. I'll go. I'm going to I'm going to go and get captured by an enemy and get put in jail and then traded to the U.S. and go to jail there rather than do this. Like he was like he was not having Vietnam. Yeah. I mean, it's that one decision, right? Where it's like, I guess he felt like he was in a rock in between a rock and a hard place where you're like, if I go to Vietnam, I'm going to die. So it's objectively a better decision to turn myself in and end up as a POW and just hope for an exchange program to pull me out. But that being said, I mean, I'm not saying that like I would have been excited to go to Vietnam, but I don't think that I, I don't think there's a, a single situation where I'm going to desert to North Korea would be in my brain. Like, it's so hard to wrap my head around that being the the solution at hand. Like, deserting and going on the run, sure, yeah, I can understand that. Deserting, going on the run, even turning yourself into another foreign government, sure, I can understand that. North Korea? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to put yourself in the in his shoes because you know, you can't you can't really imagine what it's what it would feel like to be staring down like almost certain violent death. Like, you know, this guy is thinking like, oh, we're, we're about to I'm about to be deployed to Vietnam and I'm going to like probably die, you know. And so you can't even imagine what it would feel like to be kind of in that in that situation where, yeah, like that, like. You'd probably do a, if you really didn't want to die. You really wanted to preserve your your life. You probably would do a. You would probably do a lot to get out of that. I feel like I might, but but then on the flip side, it's like yeah, like but then there's like almost certain torture and death by surrendering yourself to North Korea, and it's like at least if you were deployed to Vietnam, like you technically literally have a fighting chance of surviving and going back home and living a normal life or as normal as you can after you've suffered the horrors and traumas of war. So yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's like, I, I can't, I can't imagine what it, what the thought process would have been like behind doing that. But it's also just like an impossible situation. You're just faced with like, oh, you're just going to be totally fucked unless you do something. I, it, but it's it, to me, it's just so hard. It's so hard to wrap my brain around even just a, a passing knowledge of the North Korean government and being like, yeah, that makes sense. I'll go there. You know what I mean? Like, it's so hard. And I'm. it's totally what you're saying, where it's like, you're between a rock and a hard place. You have to choose. You have to choose. In, at least that's what in his in his head what it was. It's either certain death in Vietnam or you will probably live, but you'll be tortured for a couple years in in North Korea. And it'll be an oppressive, horrible, terrible situation. Yeah. Out of, out of the frying pan and into the fire, as they say. Yeah. Out of the out of the frying pan and into the totalitarian dystopian nightmare world, um, which is just, yeah, we're going to we'll we'll get into it. We'll as they say, the common parlance of our medium, Spandrew, we'll get into it and we will. Act 2. Lights, Camera, Propaganda. Jenkins was initially held in protective custody with three other men, Larry Allen Abshear, 
James Joseph Dresnick, and Jerry Wayne Parrish. The four Americans were all prisoners of war that the North Korean government was using as both internal propaganda and external bargaining tools. So this is crazy in that he was not the only person that tried to defect from from South Korea to North Korea as a means of escaping the Vietnam War. Three other Americans did it, and they all had very weird, tragic lives because of that choice. Yeah, it's just the it's the it's the real life equivalent. Charles Jenkins walks in there and he's like he's like, all right, this plan's gonna work. We're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get captured and then I'm gonna you know diplomatically talk to these people and get myself traded back to the U.S. for some kind of prisoner exchange program. And he walks in and just sees three other Americans and it's the it's the equivalent of that James Franco like on the on the stocks meme where he they look over and they're like first time. And he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. So three other guys had kind of had this same idea. They tried it and it didn't work for them. And one of the men specifically was basically like an informant. It's like the, it's like the most fucked up reverse Hogan's heroes of all time. Dude, it's this is a waking nightmare. I, and not only is it a waking nightmare in the situation that you're in with these three other men, but it's a waking nightmare in that you can't trust anything anybody's doing because one of the men is a turncoat, like full on traitor, leaking every piece of information that they're doing to the North Korean soldiers. And he was like this big, like six, four dude. And um, uh, Jenkins repeatedly talked about like he was like a bully. He would like start fights with the other Americans and then immediately turn to the um, North Korean soldiers and be like, so and so hit me. You know, he's not being a good student of um, the leader. You know, he should be punished. Um, and he tried to do that to, like, curry favor with the North Korean soldiers that were, like, watching them 24 hours a day, basically. Yeah, it's just, like, it's just so bleak. Like, you, not only are you in this horrific human rights violation situation, but then also the other three people that maybe you could bond with and plan with, one of them is counterproductively plotting against you with every move you make which is just like insane it's just so crazy did he know that that guy was like a traitor or did he just oh yeah yeah like it's not it wasn't subtle like he wasn't doing it behind anybody's back he would just like full-on like punch some like he would just punch you know jenkins chris jenkins in the face or charles jenkins in the face and then turn to the fucking north korean leader and be like hey uh 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 yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, really sad, really shitty situation. On January 26th of 1965, it was announced nationally over the radio that the four men were in custody. The reason? Because they were so disgusted with living conditions in South Korea that they thought that life would be better with the communists. Or at least, that's what the North Koreans wanted their people to believe. In 1966, the four men attempted to escape together. Their plan was to make it to the Soviet embassy. So this is like after we've already had the character arc where they won over the traitor guy. And he's just like, he's like, you know what? I want to help you guys. However, that was not to be as they were quickly apprehended. Yeah, basically the their plan was they were going to break away during like a a transportation or something. And they were going to make it to Pyongyang where there was a Soviet embassy and they were going to try and hide in the Soviet embassy and seek asylum with the Soviets and then have the Soviets trade them to the U.S. as a bargaining chip. 
Obviously, that didn't fucking happen because they got like apprehended by the Soviet, the North Koreans, like almost immediately. Yeah, the craziest thing about this is that you're just I mean, you're just fucked on every front because you're not going to have any real support from back home because the re like you didn't get captured. The reason why you are a prisoner is because you were captured because you deserted. And, you know, number one, we know we know the sentiment towards that kind of thing. I mean, we even like whenever people were like freaking out that we traded Brittany Griner recently for a Russian prisoner because she like was black. I get like, like people, pe- people were just like, that was dumb. We shouldn't have done that. Like people were actively angry that we got Brittany Griner back because she was like smoked weed and was not a white person. I, I don't even, I don't even fucking know why people were mad about that, but it was, you know, th- these guys were just like, they were going to have no support. Nobody was going to be trying. I mean, it's not like, I think people would have accepted them back and put in some kind of effort, but no one was like trying to get these guys back. Right. Yeah, no. And and that's this really depressing thing of like they are U.S. citizens, but they committed desertion and technically are a traitor to their oath. And so they don't have any of the rights or kind of even if it wasn't even just like they don't have the same media blitz coverage. Right. Like nobody in the in the news media is going to be like, we got to get fucking Charles R. Jenkins home noted deserter yeah there's no narrative there it's just like yeah there's no sympathy for him yeah which is like he's still a human being like he made one mistake like would it be a problem if everyone in our military was constantly deserting yes yes that's why we don't go out on a limb to help people who do that but also i don't know that it's all that helpful to leave a an american citizen under foreign like thumb for 40 years like does that help anybody like i don't i don't know yeah charles jenkins is like a living embodiment of that arrested development thing where job's like i've made a huge mistake yeah i mean literally literally he when we watch some interview clips later he it's so heartbreaking to hear him say like i've made a i made a big mistake really whiffed on this one not my finest hour uh just Really, just thinking back on it, I'm just like, dang, should have done the whole thing different. All of it from from moment one, just all different. Yeah. Um, for the next seven years, the four men were regularly subjected to beatings and torture in governmental prisons. That sentence, that's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of pain and in, packed into that sentence. That's a single sentence. But that's seven years of four people's lives where they're just completely being thrashed constantly. And I didn't actually go into it in the script as much, but the stuff that they had to do was pretty wild. They So they were made, one of the things that they were made to do when they first got there was to memorize and rewrite the books of um, Kim Il-sung, the Korean leader, North Korean leader, um, every day, eight hours a day, or else they would be beaten. They didn't speak Korean. So they were memorizing and writing phonetically Korean words over and over and over and over and over and over again and without understanding what they were doing. So you basically just have to like purge your entire mind and remember like hours of what to you are basically just like n- phonetic noises, you know, like you're you're not you don't you have no connection to the not meaning. even like memorizing something you understand. It's just memorizing noise. Like literally eight hours a day, seven days a week. That's all they did, uh, and that was only one of the things they did. Yeah, which is which was probably so fucking hard because that's the thing, you know. Like with like Shakespeare, the the 
the thing about it that makes it like re- like easy to memorize. The reason why it's like easy to memorize Shakespeare is because of the rhyme scheme, the iambic pentameter. It's just something that like works well with our minds, so it, we we can memorize it fairly easily because of the way that the words fit together. So like you don't understand the words at all; they have no meaning to you. Just memorizing a few of those words is probably extremely difficult. Let alone that you're like memorizing books. Like, that sounds horrible. It sounds, it's, yeah. And like, you know, you say one word wrong and then you get caned in the back of the head with a fucking two by four or whatever. Um, you know, they, and they were doing that for seven, they were doing that before and then also did that for the, those seven years. Like a lot of that time period was devoted to the act of re-educate, re-educating the, the Westerner in, in the ways of the great leader. That's also just like a fucking unhinged torture tactic. Like just memorize these books. And then save him. My will be done. Like, that's fucking crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just again, that's only one of the ways that they were mistreated repeatedly. Um, we'll get we'll get to some of the others as, as we keep going. However, in 1972, the four men were granted citizenship and each housed separately. And of course, they were still monitored, beaten and surveyed. <laughs> I forgot that I wrote a joke here, so I was reading that seriously, but the joke is... But at least they could all poop alone now. (laughs) So the way that I I guess I should have read that was, of course, they were still monitored, beaten, surveyed, but at least they could poop alone now, as opposed to, of course, they were still monitored, beaten, and surveyed, but at least they could poop alone now. Charles R. Jenkins worked in this semi-tolerable state for the next six years. He worked primarily as a translator and English teacher. So one of the ways that he would kind of cope or, you know, trade a skill to be given the bare minimum of food to eat is that he would teach Korean spies English and he would teach them uh, American customs and he would teach them slang um, as a means of like, please give me a piece of bread for this week. And I'll teach you about what a baseball diamond is. All right. So if you're hanging out with an American and the American wants a a casual favor for you and you've totally got it on lock, what you say is you say, I got you, fam. Yeah, there's only one thing you can say to an American to really piss him off. Like when you're when you're talking to an American and you're just down there in the streets and you're you know, you guys are vibing, you know, there's a vibe going on. But you're trying to like, you know, get inside his skin a little bit. You know, see what he's like when he's a little testy. That's when you go, I don't know, man. My favorite Star Wars, Phantom Menace. Always has been, always will be. You you will start you will start a mini war right then and there. Another thing, you could just say like, I don't know, attack the clones. That shit wasn't that bad. Now if you got yourself a trumped up white boy busting it sexual style, what you gotta do is if he goes out there laying out some kind of bullshit, you just gotta call you gotta call cap on it, baby. You call cap right then and there. <laughs> Look, I'm saying sometimes you just gotta smash that subscribe button. You know what I mean? Even when you don't really like the content, sometimes you just gotta smash that subscribe. And so sometimes you know, you could just like drop it into conversation when you're leaving. Just be like, hey, make sure to smash that subscribe and then bounce out the restaurant. You know, listen, if somebody tells you I'm going to save you years of confusion. If somebody ever says link down below in the doobly doo, they mean the little box underneath the video. That's what it is. Look, all I'm saying, look, all I'm saying, you're ever in a meeting and someone says, what's the ROI? You don't touch that. You don't touch that. That shit is a ticking time bomb. You avoid that shit. You divert. 
you say, yeah, let me follow up on that. Let me just let me just get in with my peoples. You know? Yeah, you always push the ROI to another meeting. You never you never you never you never discuss the ROI in the meeting. You do a follow-up email later on, you kick that can down the road as far as you can because really what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the CPCs down low enough and you're trying to get the CPMs to be very high for you and then you can actually accurately tell them the ROI. So you got to you got to wait until that pivotal moment. You never give the ROI in the meeting. Never give the ROI unless you're riding high on them CPMs. When when the CPM is highest, the ROI is the highest, like HI, you know, like in in, in the in, in, inbox, you know, you just did, hi, ROI, here you go. People listen to this? People listen to us? Yes, although to be fair, people do complain about these exact moments in the, in the reviews. So anyway, he worked as a fucking teacher. He worked as a teacher. I just love the idea of him trying to explain like, white collar internet like startup culture to the spies though you know him being like look man if you want to make it you really got to bootstrap it you know you you got to not take a salary and you got to really you know that that you know rise and grind mindset it's the only thing that's going to get you through you can watch all these videos about ai content generation but let me tell you good old-fashioned human know-how is the only thing that bootstraps genuine business growth listen if the if the ctr is 15 percent or higher it's a banger. If it's 6% or lower, it's a dog. 1978 would be the year that would change Charles R. Jenkins's life forever. Two things happened that year. One, he was married to another prisoner. And two, he became a movie star. This is the best year of my life. First things first, Hitomi Sago was a Japanese nursing student in Sado, Niigata, Japan. All you have to do is be horribly tortured for years, and then you can one day achieve your dream of marrying a beautiful woman and becoming a movie star. It's the American dream. Just transposed into the nightmare of fucking North Korea. 15 years of abject torture, and then you can achieve your goals. First things first, Hitomi Soga was a Japanese nursing student in Sado, Niigata, Japan, when she and her mother were kidnapped and brought to North Korea to teach Korean secret agents how to properly speak Japanese. So this is... The cra- this might be the craziest thing in this script to me personally. Like, I know that there's objectively weirder stuff, but their idea of how to teach spies Japanese was to kidnap random people. They would get in boats, show up on the, the island coasts of Japan or the small islands that surround Japan uh, or the coast of Japan, whatever. And they would just like sneak into villages at night, grab random people and take them back to North Korea. Listen, we don't... We do- we don't want, you know, we, we can't use like a translator because that's not going to be authentic. We're going to get some trumped up highfalutin version of Japanese. It's not going to feel real. We need that authentic Japanese feel that can only come from somebody who's been secreted away in the night without any knowledge of what's going on and brought into a prison. And like a 19 year old girl, like that's your idea of like. We're going to learn the real Japanese from her. She's got that good shit. She's got that good, good. She's got that good, good. That good, good language, bro. It's insane. Yeah, I do. But yeah, it's fucking insane. Like m- making people memorize books, like kidnapping people in at night just to teach you a language. Like these are just these are the fucking this is the chaotic whims of a of a fucking crazy person. It's almost like that's exactly what it was. <laughs> At the direction of the North Korean government, the 21-year-old Soga was assigned to Jenkins. They lived together for eight years until they were forcibly married in 1980. So this is what's super fucked up, right? This 
everything about their lives was completely orchestrated and controlled. They were told that they were going to have sex two times a month, regardless of how they were feeling. The the North Korean basically the, so the the people who watched over them and like controlled their lives are called leaders with a capital L. But then they also like the North Korean people call Kim Il Sung leader with a capital L. So sometimes it gets a little confusing when you're like leader and leader. But so basically they're like their wardens were called leaders. And there was like a leader who specifically would come in and tell them it's fucking time. Do it. Uh, I don't know. I, I got kind of a headache tonight. Your headaches mean nothing here. Yeah, it's like super fucked up. And so, you know, they were they were like given to each other as like, and now you guys are going to be a couple and now have kids and now fuck on command. And like, it just sounds like the worst. Yeah, it's hor It's it's fucking horrible. It's just all horrible. It's like one of the worst things I've ever heard. All of this stuff is one of the worst things I've ever heard. Yeah, it's it's just and they did it for decades, like decades. They it's so dark. It's so dark. The thing that I was thinking about this, though, during that whole, like, we're doing all the research, and this is just, he never says this in any of the interviews that I've seen, but for me, I would immediately think, oh, this woman's a spy. Oh, this woman is being mistreated, obviously, made to do things she doesn't want to do, obviously, but also she's a, she's, it would be so hard to trust someone in that scenario, even after forcibly having had sex with them for years, yeah, because everybody's being everybody's being tortured. There's no there's no loyalties in those situations. Plus, you literally experience somebody who was like openly like on the side of the North Koreans and like telling everything that you said to them. It would be so hard not to think that this woman, who like look, is she a Japanese woman who was taken from her people and country illegally and like just strip kidnapped? Yes. Is there a world where they're like, we'll let you go home if you get him to tell us X, Y, and Z? I mean, I, I would, in that scenario, it would be really hard for me not to think that and to fully trust this person. Oh, I'd, I'd sell you out in a second. I know you would. I know you would. Um, I would never sell you out, though. Dave, Dave, yesterday, Dave was like, he went on this rant about how Stan Lee was just a hack and a fraud, like, for 30 minutes. And I know, I know you're a huge fan of Stan the Man, so I just figured you should know. Yeah, yeah, the North Korean leaders are like, we're a big fan of the Marvel method. I handle my government with the Marvel method. <laughs> Come up with all these ideas. And then I just have like you, you go and torture that guy. And you, you go and it's the, it's the Marvel method. Nobody realizes it, but that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't micromanage. I don't write scripts for them to torture people. No, I let the, I let the artists be artists, man. I let them be creative, you know? God, it's fucking bleak. It's so bleak. Also in 1978, production began on the 20 film series Unsung Heroes. It tells the story of the North Korean version of the Korean War. Jenkins played Dr. Kelton, a capitalist warmonger who wanted to extend the war to benefit the U.S. military-industrial complex. So uh, this first clip we're going to watch is from fellow prisoner of war, deserter, North Korean prisoner, Larry Allen Abshear, who was, as we'll, as you remember from earlier in the episode, who was one of the four men that was stationed with him initially. So Larry Allen Abshear is in this clip playing the character of Carl, a secret police captain. It's not the So the, the footage we're watching is black and white. That's, that's him. That's Larry. 
영국 체포기관에서도 유림을 의심하고 있습니다. 오늘 아침 M15 소원들을 만났는데 유림이와 로이스의 관계는 단순한 친관계가 아니었다고 합니다. So if you can't tell, the thing that's really fascinating about this is that all of the people in the scene are speaking their native tongue. But then, instead of re-dubbing them over in Korean, there's a Korean voiceover track where there's one person just reciting all of the dialogue that everyone in the scene is saying. So it's like audio subtitles as opposed to actual dubbing where the characters are being played by different people. What do you think about that clip? Cool? Weird? Was it what you thought it would be? Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I thought it would be more, like, if you, I'm not saying it was good by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think I would know that that was, like, people under duress being forced to make a movie if I hadn't known that. Like, I'm not saying they were, like, great acting performances, but I was expecting it to be a little bit more, like, chaotic feeling and being, like, like feel more like people being, like, forced at gunpoint to make a movie. But it just kind of seemed like a regular movie, which is almost more disturbing because you're just looking at the guy's eyes and he's just he's acting. That movie was made in 1978, but it feels like a 50s TV show because they're making it on antiquated technology. Yeah. Another thing is if I, if I didn't know that, I would say that movie was made in the 1950s, like 100 um, percent. All right. Let's watch this next clip. And this clip is of CRJ, Charles Robert Jenkins, uh, as the villainous. Uh, Dr. Kelton. CRJ? Carly Rae Jepsen? You know, it's so funny. I almost made a Carly Rae Jepsen joke as the title to this act. But then I was like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Because, <laughs> you know, Prisoner of War and all that. Uh, but look, if we have to do a whole deep, deep cuts saga about Carly Rae Jepsen, I'm not going to be upset. So that's him. That's, uh, he's walking out of a funeral home. He's a very interesting looking guy. He looks like a character actor. Dr. Kelton. I'm sending He looks like that old guy from Poltergeist. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was a close friend of Mr. Who are you? London News. London Ah, you. Ah, you recognize me. I sympathize with you. In your sad treatment. Thanks. 고맙소. I heard a lot about you. 당신 얘기를 많이 들었어. Dr. Kelton. 박사님. As a friend of 전 부인의 친구로서 박사님에게 알려드릴 문제가 있습니다. 지금 클라우스 대제가 전쟁 실태의 원인을 박사님에게서 찾으려고 한다는 소문이 있습니다. 제게는 그 책임이 바로 그들 자신에게 있다는 것을 증명할 수 있는 자료가 있습니다. It's a very interesting matter. 이건 아주 흥미는 문제요. He looks, you're right though, he looks like a character actor from like a 50s Western TV show, you know? He's got such a specific face and his ears are so large and he's got these giant cheekbones, like... And he's not a, he's not a great actor, at least from that clip we saw, but once again, he's just... Of course he's not a great, he's not an actor! He's a guy being held at gunpoint, like he's, he's not an actor. But what I'm saying is like he doesn't seem like it. Like I'm not saying he's good, but he just seems like a guy who's acting. And that's almost that's almost more disturbing to me that it doesn't it doesn't feel like people being held at gunpoint. It feels like just some movie, some low budget bad movie. Yeah, it really does. Um, so let's watch some of this. Uh, six when he, basically there's a sixty minutes article or a sixty minutes you know piece that was done on him, and um, I, let's let's watch some of it. In a language they didn't understand, and even now. 
The words lie on his memory like a scar. When you were reciting that, you had a pained look on your face. <laughs> Why? What? What is it about remembering that? In words, I cannot express the feelings I have towards North Korea. The harassment I got. The hard life. Hard, as in the time Jenkins was assigned a woman and ordered to have sex with her twice a month. Not once, not three times, twice a month yes. on the orders of the yes. government. The leader almost tell her when to do it. I got in a big fight one time over it because of one leader. Hmm. I told him it's none of his business. If I want to sleep, where does she want to sleep? Where we sleep? No, two times a month. You don't talk back to the leader. No, but at times I did. But this was the last That's straw. That's the worst beating I ever got over that. But even that beating wasn't as bad as the day that someone noticed Jenkins' tattoo with the words U.S. Army. Our unproblematic king, Charles Jenkins, is all about consent, guys. Inked into his forearm below crossed rifles. What happened? They cut it off. <laughs> they held him down and cut with scissors. No anesthetic. His hail. Jenkins wanted to believe he was still in the army, but now the North Koreans had cut the words right out of his flesh. Like I say, you get used to it. It's really in the details that you start to understand. Man, this, this dude is traumatized. How bad his life was. Like this is so fucked Jim up. Jim Frederick is Time Magazine's bureau chief in Tokyo, and co-author of a book that Jenkins published in Japan. Much of it deals with Jenkins' description of his struggle to survive the pervasive poverty of the North. He never had any heat. Or, well, when we had heat, you know, we had to stoke the boiler ourselves. We had an apartment, but the toilet didn't flush. You had to flush it by hand, and it didn't really have a septic tank. It had a pipe, an outlet pipe out the back, and so rats would come up all the time. And consider the Americans were being treated better than most North Koreans because the government was using them posing them in staged propaganda flyers, forcing them to teach English to military cadets and would-be spies. You coward. And Jenkins was ordered into the movies. That's him as an evil American in a bad imitation of Hollywood. Jenkins' family got a copy of this movie from a reporter 32 years after he disappeared. Pat Harrell is Jenkins' sister. What did you say when you saw that face on the screen? It was the first ray of hope that I'd actually had in all those years that, yes, Well, she looked exactly alive. like him. Um, he looked well. They had and the exact back same in North face. Korea, Jenkins was touched by a ray of hope of his own. In 1980, after 15 lonely years, his leaders brought a 21-year-old Japanese girl to his door. Well, I put it like this. I looked at it one time. I won't let her go. <laughs> she was Hitomi Soga, and she had been kidnapped in one of the most bizarre intelligence operations in modern history. North Korea was abducting ordinary Japanese citizens and forcing them to teach Japanese to North Korean spies. 
1978, Hitomi was kidnapped by North Korean agents on this road on Sato Island, Japan. She was shoved onto a boat and disappeared. No one in Japan knew why or how. You two are from completely different worlds. Yeah. Did you have anything in common? Yeah, she was a prisoner, I was a prisoner. We're both saying we both hated North Korea. So We both thought that Full Metal really Alchemist Brotherhood was a lot better than the original anime. In weeks, they were married, a union arranged by the government they despised. But Jenkins says it bloomed into a true marriage. Each evening, they would tell each other goodnight. He in Japanese, she in English. What did that mean to you? Remind her that she's still Japanese. That she's not Korean. She's not obligated to Korea. She is Japanese, and she spoke to me in English every night. <laughs> Regardless of how hard things got, we always stuck as one. They stuck as one for 22 years, raising two daughters, Mika and Brenda. Then, in 2002, the completely unexpected happened. To improve relations, the new dictator of North Korea, Kim's son, Kim Jong-il, admitted to the Japanese prime minister that North Korea had kidnapped 13 Japanese. The survivors, including Hitomi, returned home. Hitomi became a national hero. But Jenkins and the girls stayed behind. The North didn't want them to go, and Jenkins knew that he'd be arrested by the U.S. Army for desertion if he left. He spent two more lonely years in North Korea, but then there was a diplomatic breakthrough, and Jenkins decided that going to prison would be worth it if he could see his wife again. Hitomi was reunited with Jenkins and their daughters in Indonesia. In September 2004, Sergeant Jenkins reported for duty at a U.S. base in Japan. It appears that no deserter has ever come back after being gone so long. How did it feel to be in uniform again after 40 years? Felt good. Felt good? Why so? I correct my mistake. I come back. And Megan Brennan, they never seen me. They never saw me in uniform, and I didn't think they ever would. <laughs> he pled guilty to desertion and aiding the enemy and was released from the brig after 25 days. I pay my debt to society. I don't expect people to run up me and hug me and kiss me. I don't want them to. Do you think of yourself as a traitor? No. If I was a traitor, I wouldn't have come back. We asked Jenkins what amazed him the most about the world since he'd left it in 1965. He'd never laid a hand on a computer, much less been on the internet. He told us he was surprised that there were so many women in the army, that there were black policemen. And as he put it, you can't smoke anywhere anymore. You know, I'm curious, did you know that men landed on the moon? Yes. You knew that I at the time? I was told that by the Korean, one of the officers. They wouldn't say what country. They said, but, they said, some country 
landed on the moon. They wouldn't tell you it was the Americans no. who landed on the no. moon, but they told you somebody was on yes. the moon. Today, Jenkins has landed on Sado Island, Japan, not far from the spot where his wife was kidnapped. But before he came to the family farm, he had to know that Hitomi's love flowed from freedom, not slavery. I told him, in North Korea, it's one thing. This Japan, you're still young. If you wish for me to go, I'll go. You volunteered to dissolve the marriage? Yes. And she said what? No. She told me no. After Hitomi, there was just one other woman in the world he needed to see. When he left for duty in South Korea, he told her he'd be back in a year. How's it feel to be in North Carolina? Last summer, Jenkins visited North Carolina, where, at the age of 91, his mother had lived long enough to see her son come home. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> I didn't think you'd ever get here. <laughs> it's hard. Very difficult. Very hard. Bro. Dave. Like, okay. The beginnings of this episode was just like, oh, there's this crazy story of this American POW who starred in North Korean movies and was like a movie star. Like that's what this story was. Like that's that's the first I heard about it. I, I forget who showed it to who, but that was the beginning of it. Not unlike the North Korean YouTube prank episode we did or what else, whatever, whatever. But this is like the darkest thing we've ever covered. I think this is da the darkest thing we've ever done an episode on. Like we've we've done we've done episodes on dark shit and like I, probably like like the the Indonesian genocide is like that's the high mark for for darkness and I think this might be darker than that. Seeing seeing a a grown man in his fucking seventies weeping in the arms of his mother mother and saying "Mama, Mama" is just like oof, man, is that shit dark? All of it though, because the. the the horrible trauma that, that has that to, that is affecting all of these individual lives simultaneously in all these different ways based on this one action, this one decision. Like this dude, this is like literally like going into a coma for 40 years in terms of like what you miss, the things that you don't experience. But also you're being tortured the whole time. You're not just in the bliss of fucking unconsciousness or whatever. Like, this is literally, like, time traveling to 40 years in the future. Like, he's just like, what's a fucking computer? Black cops? Like, that, that's, that's fucking insane. And then you've got the fact that, like, all of his family just never saw him again. This woman who also was taken from her family. The fact that they have to grapple with this, this really fucked up ethical, uh, like, labyrinth. Of whether their marriage is like legitimate or not. Like, were we really married? Do we really love each other? Or were we just Stockholm syndromed into it by this prison of war, prisoner of war situation? Do we continue being married at one, once we're free? Should we continue being married? It, like, it's so fucked up. The fact that his kids were like born into captivity and grew up their whole lives as like fucking prisoners. And the fact that one of them is named Brenda. 
That's when you know you're fucked up. When you you know you've been pushed to your psychological breaking point whenever you name your child Brenda. <laughs> it's so fucked up. It's so fucked. It's just fucked on every level. And like it just keeps getting more fucked too. Because now these poor like think about his daughters. His poor daughters who've never known life outside of the confines of this bizarrely repressive North Korean state are now being asked to move to a, a country that they have no allegiance with, that they're biracial. And we all know how idiosyncratic the Japanese people are about whether someone is or is not truly Japanese. And they're being asked to like be raised. They're, they're, they're being asked to now assimilate into a Another culture that's just as alien as the one that they were being imprisoned by to them. Like it's so Yeah, they have they have no home. They have no home because they're they're biracial, so they can't even they can't even like claim any kind of like direct nationality. I mean they can. I mean I'm not saying that they can't. They if you're if you're someone who's American and Japanese, you are a hundred percent American and a hundred percent Japanese. Absolutely. Yeah, but the fact that you are that on top of the fact that you were not born in either country and you were not only not born in another country, but you were raised outside of a country. Like they they they, they were they were they were in North Korea, but they weren't in North Korea. They were in a fucking prison. Yeah. They weren't they didn't even have the benefit of being an average everyday North Korean citizen. They were prisoners of war. Like, I think that's probably hard for a lot of people to fathom because everybody, no matter what, you identify with some kind of home. Even if you're somebody who's like ex excommunicated from a religion or something like that, you can't go back to your parents and all this stuff. You still are like, yeah, I grew up there. Like, that's my home. But to them, it's a it's like a prison. It's crazy. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. And like, and man, is that so brutal. Like the look on his face when he gets asked, you know, do, do you think of yourself as a traitor? And he goes, no, because I went back. Like, oh, oh, oh. It's just so like, so fucked up. Like everything about it is just so. Yeah. And the fact that he had to spend 25 days in the brig, like I, dear God, like, I guess I get it. It's like the law is the law or whatever. But like, Jesus, you, had to, you made him spend 25 days in the brig after 40 years of that. Yeah. But I mean, also, like, that is like, you know, deserters get like years of prison time and shit. Yeah. I mean, I know they took it easy on him, obviously. But even that 25 days, like you can't just the dude is like, how the fuck ever old in his 70s. You can't just like let him go. Yeah, I don't think anybody is going to be. Well, that might not be true. But I was going to say, I don't think anybody's going to be mad if you're just like, let's just call this one even. Yeah. 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 It's I think it's a, you know, (sighs) I hate to phrase it this way, but I think it really is simultaneously a, a testament to the human spirit and what we can endure and what we can get through and what we can survive. And also, conversely, a testament to man's inhumanity to man and the like le- the depths of darkness that we're willing to stoop to. Yeah, but it's not even like it's not even a testament to human will in like a good way. Like, oh, I overcame this. It's a testament to like how much abuse the human psyche and body can t- withstand and stay alive, which is like at one point admirable, but also just like it's not admirable in a mo- in a motivational way of like, man, he he stuck it out. Like, no, it's just like, dear God, like he just he went through the some fucked up shit. And I guess human beings are just pretty resili- resilient. I mean, yeah, I mean, 
the fact that he was able to overcome all of the the that hardship and and move through it in some semblance of sanity is impressive. Let me ask you this though. He was alive during the 2016 election. Oh yeah. I was going to I was going to make a joke about that whenever he was like I was surprised there were black cops and women in the military and I was like and I was just I was going to make a joke about him being like the woke mind virus is taking over. I mean, yeah, we we know, we know, we we know, we know who he voted for. Ralph Nader. He wrote in Ralph Nader. Yeah, he's like, I'm still riding hard for Ralph, just just like just like uh, just like Spandrew Spice during the during the 2008 election. But he voted for Obama in 2012, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, any thoughts, closing statements, or uh, epiphanies that came away from this story? Yeah, I mean, I kind of said it before, but you know, like the the story I was forgetting was the 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 Japanese actor who was kidnapped and taken to North Korea. Oh yeah. The, starred, the Japanese actor and the Japanese director. Yeah. Yeah. The, that that's, that made that, um, the shitty Godzilla movie like that. And, and the other, the other one that I mentioned and just some of these stories of like people being subjected to just horrible trauma. Like I was not expecting this one to be the worst one. Like this, this is just somehow so fucking dark. I think it's just all of the angles, all the little details of it. It's got so many moving parts of horrible shit that it's just it's just like the bleakest thing I can think of right now. And I, I guess that that's that's really just the the my my main thought. Like I really don't have any other takeaways from this, other than like yeah, like it's a testament to human resilience and like what people can be to, can go through. But it's also a testament to the depths of cruelty that people can be capable of. But ultimately, my main thoughts are just like this is fucking dark. I think my final thought is, um, want to go to North Korea on a vacation? Hell yeah. There are people, there are people that do that. Like the, like at, uh, I'll bleep it out, but at, I forget who it was, but there was somebody, and this was before you started who during that, like all hands meeting we would have where they would introduce new employees. I don't know if they still do those things over zoom now, but like, and there was somebody who ran a marathon in North Korea and talked about it. Wow. And then there was like that one dude who went there on a trip and then he ended up getting arrested because he defaced a flag and then he died in prison or whatever. It's like, what the fuck are you people doing going over there? Like, <laughs> stay away. Yeah, just how about just don't? How about just don't? Yeah, uh, this uh, this episode, I'm not going to lie. This almost broke me when I was writing this episode. I was like, I don't know if we should even do this. This is so dark. It's so dark because it's like, like I said, like it's supposed, it was supposed to just be like, oh, it's crazy. Because like those other stories are dark. Like it's not those people did not have a good time. Like they had, they, their lives were fucked up and they went through trauma and torture and things like that. But like, I feel it was just like, it was a whole different ball. It was a whole different stratosphere. Like the, I forget their names, but the Japanese director and the actress, like they kind of got like preferential treatment a little bit once they kind of started playing ball. So when we talked about this story, it was just supposed to be another crazy story of like, it's crazy that they, he got captured and then he just was a star of movies or whatever. I was not prepared for this to be the saddest shit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Well, and for us to be making fun of his ears and accent for like 40 minutes before we get into it. <laughs> yes. I mean, I was making jokes during that the bleak stuff too, but like that's just that's just a coping mechanism, baby. Gotta have that gallows humor. Yeah. I mean, look, long story short, I don't have any plans on going to North Korea. And uh, man, this shit was bleak. This shit was so bleak. I uh, Yeah. Oof. Oof. And on that note, I'm Dave Baker. 
And I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me online at heydavebaker.com or you can find my comics and all kinds of other dumb shit. Spandrew Spice, where can people find you? You can not find me going to North Korea, at, at least by my own will. Maybe something happens someday, but it's not going to be my choice. And uh, you can't find me on social media because I don't use social media. But if you want to pay your respects to the dear beloved Papa Price, you can get his book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye, by going to dapricerights.com, picking that up. You can follow us on social media uh facebook deep cuts podcast you can join the facebook group deep cuts podcast facebook group where we talk about the show and make memes you can also join our discord server bitly.com slash deep cuts discord where we talk about the show make memes talk about other stuff uh hang out play games you can also follow us on instagram at deep cuts pod you can follow us on tiktok at mystery treehouse you can go to our website deepcutspod.com click on the shop where you can get hats and t-shirts and all kinds of cool stuff and you can get out of here you ain't got to go home, but you gots to leave this podcast episode. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content.